I am so thankful and grateful to God for the leaders uh, He's placed me with and uh, that are around me and around you, and uh, Doug is one of those, and uh, I'm just so thrilled to see all the things that they are weathering and weathering so well, and how they're desiring to do it with an intense focus on praying and listening to God and planning next steps, and they'll be sharing with you uh, in the next couple of weeks some uh, uh, discussions we've had and some progress and transition, and uh, so I'm just totally thrilled uh, with with how they are serving the Lord and you so well. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Jake for uh, stepping in last week to preach and take the next section of Ephesians. I'm uh, thankful to be back with you this morning. Um, a couple times a year, uh, in addition to vacation time and things, uh, I try to get uh, my wife out of town for a couple days just to rest, replenish, and just reconnect as a husband and wife. Uh, so that's what we were doing last week as we were thinking of you, as praying for you and the services as they were going on. Uh, but I'm excited to be back with you this morning as we continue our series of Love Life, Finding It, Fixing It, and Fanning It. And when we uh, started this a couple of weeks ago, just as a quick review in Ephesians chapter 5, we talked about three things. In order to, to find, fix, and fan love, you have to look good, you have to walk good, and smell good. And we kind of took, you know, those uh, things that we typically think of in terms of building relationships, especially those in dating relationships, but applied those familiar things to our relationship with God and that we must look good first in being imitators of God. And that's the type of people, if you are single, that you will attract. Uh, how much you imitate God will be will depend on how much of a person uh, will be attracted to you in terms of that person being a godly person as well. And we talked about work or walking good in love and in light. Those are two central commands listed in Ephesians chapter 5. And Pastor Jake unpacked the light, walking in light a little bit more last week. And then walking in wisdom is a third thing. And then to smell good, we have to be imitators of God. And be a, a fragrant aroma to God the Father like Jesus was in his sacrifice for us on the cross. Now, I, I neglected at the end of that message, and I want to just back up a little bit. A little bit. Uh, we hit some things pretty hard in terms of what God expects of a dating relationship in terms of purity and what that looks like, and even purity in a marriage. And one of the things, in retrospect, I realized that I didn't do very well that I want to ask your forgiveness for is at the end, present the hope and forgiveness of Christ for those of you that have made you know poor decisions in some of those areas because God is a healer of all wounds and takes all sin and uh, mistakes and turns it into good. And if you think about it, every single one of us here has really crossed the line at some point. If not in physical terms, at least in mental terms. And so we're all in need of God's mercy and God's grace. And I'm starting that uh, with this message with that theme in mind as well, because as we talk about marriage and particularly towards the end, when we when we look at what God says about divorce, I realize that there are people in 
the group this morning that have experienced some great hurts and pains in marriage relationships, and it didn't end in the way you would have envisioned. Sometimes those choices might have been totally out of your control, and other times you may have messed up and made some mistakes along the way, and and you've sought God's forgiveness for that. So please understand when we get to those points that God's grace and His mercy can cover those things, and when He brings, or when you uh, allow those things to come to your memory, remember what you did with them. And what God yet wants to do with those mistakes. Okay, fair enough. Um, But we have to be talking about what Scripture says about marriage. And that's what we're going to do today is kind of look at an overview of some uh, general principles and purposes that God has for marriage because we are losing it today. Speaking of weddings and marriage... Later on this week, I'm performing one on Friday evening. And as I've thought about that, I've uh, this particular uh, wedding that I'm going to be officiating, uh, I think the bride is in her upper 30s. And she is just ecstatic because she has been wanting to be married for a long time. And uh, for those of you that are married, or even some, some of you young ladies in our audience, you're probably dreaming about and visualizing what that day is going to be like. And some of you guys are visualizing and dreaming what that day is going to be like, and maybe a little differently than the ladies, for sure. But nonetheless, you're looking forward to it, right? And, uh, and it's been interesting, as I've thought about uh, other weddings that I've done, what transpires in some of those weddings uh, things like attendance falling down right on stage. And, uh, you know, some of the family members bickering at each other because they think it should go this way or that way in the rehearsal. And things like, you know, the solo just being botched terribly. And then I've, I've had some uh, ring bearers and flower, you know, gals and things like that uh, throw fits on the way down and they're screaming up front. And, and, they, and they have to take them out. And they've even not only thrown fits, but they've thrown up as well. But it's interesting how that no matter what happens, there's still fond memories of that day because it's been dreamt about. It's been looked forward to for so long. And really, when it comes down to it, they're married and that's all they really care about for the most part. But I thought how similar that is to... Uh, kind of a humorous couple psalms that I've read recently in Psalm 45. You don't have to turn there, but it describes this beautiful image, the dream day, the princess coming to marry her husband, all decked out. And the prince charming rides in on a white horse and all of his pomp, might and glory. And it really is a psalm picturing God's love and care and how he's enthralled with the beauty of his people. But it's a beautiful description of what marriage is. And then I thought it humorous just a few weeks ago when I was reading through the Psalms again. The very next Psalm 46, you know what it says after that? God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in times of trouble. <laughs> I thought, I told Alona, I never noticed that before. Is this perfect picture marriage? And then it talks about trouble. And But what a reality because... Sooner or later, every married couple faces trouble and difficulties. And that's why we have some sad statistics like this. By the way, if you haven't 
turned there already. Ephesians 5 is where we're going to be looking. 677 if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you. But these are some statistics from Barna, Gallup Poll, and some other organizations that depict how troubled marriages are today and families. And the first one is that the traditional family, which is described as one husband, one wife with kids from that same and one only union, when you consider that, there's only 25% that reflect that tradition today. Pretty staggering, huh? 80% of kids today will find themselves at some point without a dad, either due to divorce, extended separations, or simply just being gone and absent all the time. 60% of marriages will most likely end in divorce. It used to be 50%. Now it's getting up to 60, and that includes believers as well. 69% of divorced kids who get married will probably get a divorce themselves. So the stats go up. If they've experienced that in their home, they're more apt to repeat it themselves. And then 40% in America say marriage is an obsolete notion. Don't worry about it. Just live together, do whatever you want. Why even get married? Now, if these aren't depressing enough, here's some other depressing (laughs) things. And then we'll get into God's hope and solutions, okay? Uh, But there's a guy named Carl Zimmerman who wrote a book, Families and Civilization. And what he analyzed, he was a Harvard sociologist who studied every major empire that ever existed in an attempt to try to discover some common denominators that caused the downfall of those empires. And one of the, there's five things he lists there. And one is that marriage had lost its sacredness and other forms became widely accepted. Living together, homosexual marriages and so on. Feminism flourished and excelled. Now, as you're looking at these and thinking about these, ask yourself, do these describe our culture here in America today? Parenting became more difficult. I think that's true. Adultery was celebrated, not punished and looked down upon. Think of the programs you watched this last week. Can you recall any that accentuated or cast adultery in good terms? Sexual perversions abounded, especially incest and homosexuality. So let me go back to the question again. Do you think this describes our culture today? My friends, this is, we talked about two weeks ago when we started this this series, a postmodern way and a providential way. This is the postmodern way. And it's a way that leads to destruction. Not just homes, but entire civilizations. But thank the Lord, He gives us a different way. And that brings us to Ephesians chapter 5 today that gives us great hope. It's not too late. I've thought about it just in terms of this group alone. If 100% of us, and I know that's probably theoretical perhaps, but 
I want to believe that if 100% of us knew and understood God's providential ways for marriage and implemented and taught others, that in itself, one body would make a huge difference in our culture. Think about if numbers of churches could get this right of what would happen. How culture could be even turned toward following God instead of the the postmodern ways of this world. I couldn't help but to think about verse 15 in the previous section we're going to look at today, chapter 5 of Ephesians. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. My friends, this is the foolish way. The postmodern way is a foolish way that ends in destruction. The wise way is listed for us. And if we want to find love that is truly godly, that will last, if we want to fix a love we feel is broken, if we want to fan it into flame even more, then what is prescribed here is what we must understand and live out in obedience, whether we feel like it or whether we don't feel like it. I love how one six-year-old described what love really is in a survey. She says, love is when you go out and eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. I don't think she realizes how much wisdom she had in that statement. I remember one time going to the drive-thru at McDonald's earlier on in our marriage, and I asked my wife, my beloved, wonderful wife, what would you like, sweetheart? And she told me, and I said, you sure you don't want any fries? No, I don't want any fries. Okay, no problem, so I order what she wants. Guess what happens? She starts stealing my french fries. And you don't mess with a man's food, especially McDonald's french fries. Right? Now, over time, we've gotten this right, you know. So she has understood my love for food a little bit more. And I have understood, I, I can't take anything she says seriously. If she says she doesn't want french fries, I buy her french fries anyway. But you know, I thought about it. This happened again last night. Working hard on the yard in our house to get it ready to sell and things. And uh, I was at the store getting some things for her. And I thought about buying myself a chocolate bar. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that because my wife saved three rows of her chocolate bar I bought for her the other day. So I'll just have that. Guess what happened? Nine o'clock at night, we're having dinner finally. And I'm looking forward to my three rows of chocolate. And she breaks the news. Oh, by the way, I ate two rows of your chocolate. And I can't tell you what that did in my heart. And I thought, don't say anything. Don't say anything. And I didn't, thankfully. But, you know, so the story I'm sharing really is probably more reflection on my selfishness than, than hers. But, you know, these are the things that that are kind of funny, but also serious. How do you really love a spouse, a husband, a wife? Let's look at some general principles. We're going to look at together, and these are the blanks. Marriage was and is God's idea. Secondly, it's in our best interest to submit to God and His design. And thirdly, this includes a spouse knowing how to love their mate. 
So today we're going to kind of look at some overarching principles, fundamental principles. That's why I called today's message Radical Marriage, because radical, in a book I just read recently, talked about the Latin word signifying back to the root, back to the fundamentals. So the first fundamental here we see is marriage was and is God's idea. Let's just take a couple minutes to read through this passage, starting in verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, show love So love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I just can't help but to say it. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. This is what it's all about. General principles, marriage was and is God's idea. Marriage didn't come into an existence through some social, cultural, cosmic bang. It was a strategic, purposeful plan by our Creator. And if that's true, knowing the heart of God and His character, His desire for us to experience fullness of life, abundance in our lives, and knowing that He desires and seeks out our good, what's best for us, doesn't it make sense that He would give us manufacturing instructions to follow A guidebook to make marriage work. He does. And this is one of the key passages that we just read. Yesterday I mowed our lawn for the first time this season. But I prepared for it several weeks ago. I bought spark plugs and air filters for my trimmer, my mower, and I changed it out. And then it snowed like crazy, which I was thankful for. And I thought about it in these terms. You know, sometimes my trimmer doesn't work very well if I don't get the gas-oil mix ratio correct. Even more so, if I were to take straight gasoline and put it in my trimmer, what would happen? It wouldn't start and probably ruin it and have to get a new one. It's the same thing when it comes to marriage. There's a certain pattern that God has set To make marriage work. And we have to remember these things when we're going to the text. Because, you know, especially for the ladies, submit, respect. Oh, don't tell me that. But I'm going to 
share some things today that I hope that you'll appreciate that role uh, more than ever. So it's in our best interest to submit to God and His design. We're going to talk more about what that looks like in terms of the man's role next week and the woman's role the week after. So, to submit to God and His design is best for us. It brings glory to God. One of the ways, as we see in this passage, that makes marriage work is loving our mates in the way that God designed. How many of you ever heard the book Love and Respect before? It's been around for a while now. I love that book because it's a great summary of this passage. You know, husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. Why did God command us that way? By the way, you know, look back to 21 for a second. Verse 21. For you ladies who kind of brisk at the submission idea, look what it says here. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. You see, husbands too are challenged and charged by God to submit to their wives as they do to the Lord. So why then does God then say in verse 22, women submit and respect your husbands? I think for a couple of reasons. One is because that's one of the things that speaks love to your husbands the most. And another is, I think that's difficult sometimes for ladies. Conversely, it's difficult for husbands to, to love their wives tenderly, to nourish, to cherish, to provide and protect like Christ did for the church. Sacrificially, it's difficult for husbands to do that. And it's what their wives in general need the most. And in that book, Love and Respect, it discusses that. And it says, in general, if you were to ask a husband and wife, which describes love to you the most? If you ask the wife, would you prefer your husband to say, I love you or I respect you, which one would mean the most to you? And I've tried this myself, and more often than not, not always, I hear, I I would love to hear, I love you. And you ask the man the same question, what would mean the most to you? What would make you feel loved in words alone? I respect you or I love you, and more often than not, the man will say, I respect you. That's what means the most to me. Do you see God's wisdom? And what he's doing here, he's, he's, he's not picking on the man or the, or the, the wife. He's just showing what's real about us, what he knows to be true about us and what we need. Does this make sense? Now, the reason why I took a little bit of time to kind of point that out is this. For husbands to love their wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church, for women to respect and submit to their husbands, we need God's help. We cannot do this on our own. And I think that's another thing, a beautiful thing that God in His wisdom as He penned these words through Paul. In the very previous passage, He talks about the necessity of being filled with the Spirit of God. That means to be controlled by the Spirit. 
And it gives some evidences. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Always giving thanks to the Father for all that He does. But I don't think that's just evidences. I think those are also ways in which we become filled with the Spirit. What we're doing here this morning is ways, the way we become filled with the Spirit because we're renewed in our mind and our heart and hopefully we go here and implement what we're learning. We need God's help for this. We need God's instructions to make it work. Now let's talk about some general God, purposes of God for marriage. In the very beginning, when he created Adam and Eve and brought into existence this beautiful thing called marriage, there was no sin. They lived in paradise. They perfectly reflected God's image and they perfectly loved one another in the way that they should. And then they messed it all up. And ever since then, everybody that's been born into existence has been messing it up. From the very beginning, I want to ask you a question. Did God intend marriage to bring about happiness? How would you answer that? Yes? No? Yes! Right? What perfection? Happiness, right? Okay, now after the fall, what's God's purpose? Is it still happiness? Sure, He wants us to experience happiness. But there's something else He wants us to experience. And that's holiness. God now uses and has designed the marriage relationship to bring about holiness in our lives. Now think about this with me. Go back to verse 25 again where it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why should husbands love their wives sacrificially like Christ loved? Because... That's a part of what brings about holiness. The very next verse, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. Now, keep in mind here, this is analogy using Christ's love for the church. So he's saying, OK, husbands, you are the head. It's your responsibility. You are the go to person to make holiness happen in your in your marriage, to help your wife to become holy. The converse is always tr- also true because the analogy is being drawn here. Christ's love towards the bride, that includes women too, correct, in the church? So, vice versa, the, the women should be about trying to help their husbands live more holy lives. Remember the verse that Doug had us read earlier? Spur one another on to love and good deeds. You know, marriages can really do that. The responsibility, I believe, those placed on the husband more than the wife as the head. Now, when I was interested in my wife, Alona, as I was dating her, as we got engaged, there was no question, like we looked at a couple of weeks ago, there was... Eros blood running through my veins. But I also, even more than that, the reason, one of the reasons I distinctly remember I wanted to get married was because I wanted to become more holy and she had already been training me well in that area. 
And I likewise wanted to help her to become more holy and complete for Christ. I didn't always do a good job of that, nor do I still. Sometimes I still make mistakes. I remember earlier on in our marriage, one of the things that I love to do is a lot of guys, I love action, adventure movies. A bunch of blood and guts and gore, right? Like Braveheart and movies like that. Well, my wife couldn't stand those things. I remember one time watching as a young married couple a movie something like that with some friends of ours. And she just got up and she was in tears. She said, I can't stand this anymore. And she left. And I remember thinking how uncomfortable I felt in her convictions about that until God convicted me. And it was with this passage. It was something like the Holy Spirit just tapping on my heart. Dan, are you... Are you sanctifying and cleansing your wife by watching this movie? And somewhere along the line, I finally was convicted enough where now, even if it means a tightwad like me, wasting money in a movie, we sometimes get up and walked out of a movie when it's been a surprise of what it really was. And especially for rentals, shut it off just like that. Because her holiness means more to me than that. Now, one of the things I've thought about too, and one more, one more thing on this and we'll move on, but I've thought about it in these terms. When I stand before God to give an account as a husband, I'm not only going to give account for how I lived my life, But I believe I'm going to give an account for how much I contributed to the growth in my wife's holiness or if I didn't. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? So ladies, you feeling a little better about respecting submission in your husbands yet? Your husband is going to have to answer at a higher standard, I believe, than you. That's the way he's chose it to, to take place is for the husbands to be ahead. We'll talk more about that next week. Some other M's of God's holy purposes we've looked at to make each other more holy. But secondly, to mirror God's image. And I've borrowed some of these concepts from the family life ministry. In a weekend to remember, I learned some of these things a couple of years into our marriage and going to one of those conferences and some great principles here. One is to mirror God's image. Take a look at this verse in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26 and verse 27, it talks about the Trinity. They're having a discussion. Let's make man and woman and women in our own image. So verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now think about this for a minute. So when a husband and wife come together in marriage, they become one in every way. That is what reflects the fullness of who God is. It's not the body, physical attributes, because God is spirit, right? So the image of God is immaterial, the soul and the spirit. So when a husband and wife come together, they reflect the fullness of who God is. Now, I know this is a little stereotypical, but just bear with me here. In general, men, you know, have that conquering, drive, provide, protect, warrior-type spirit, And in general, ladies have a more soft side to them. The nourishing, cherishing, 
merciful, compassionate heart. Now, that's not always true. Sometimes it's flip-flopped. But the point I'm trying to make is God's design is that the one flesh, the two coming together, express the fullness of who God is. Isn't that beautiful? So when you live out the reality of that in your marriage, everyone else sees and understands more of what God is like. What an awesome privilege to mirror His image. Thirdly, it's to multiply a godly legacy. Genesis 1.28 Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. From the very beginning, God's design was to have holy families that would construct holy communities. And that it would perpetuate itself. Now listen, one of the things I think that it's very, very interesting, and Tony Weider talked about this a few weeks ago when he was here with us, the Muslims are taking this to heart. They're having as many kids as they can, and sometimes with multiple wives having kids so that they perpetuate their belief system. Isn't it interesting, whenever there is a genuine, authentic way that God authors, there's often a counterfeit to match. Are we producing holy offspring? Teaching our kids, our grandkids, how to follow not the postmodern way, but the providential ways of God that really work. That's a serious responsibility. And then lastly, to mutually complete one another in every single way. We looked at this graphic a couple of weeks ago, the different kinds of love. And I've kind of equated agape of the spirit, phileo, the friendship love. You've heard of soulmate. You know, we're one, the same, and everything we think about, everything we do, and of body. So body, soul, and spirit to completely or to complete one another. That is God's plan. Now, in order for that to happen, verse 31 says. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and become one flesh to cleave and to connect. There must be a leaving involved. But to connect on every level possible. But here's the thing. God meant for that connection to be on the basis of a commitment, a covenant that would not be broken. If you haven't turned there yet, turn with me to Malachi chapter 2, page 546 in your pew Bible, but it's right before Matthew, the last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 13. Remember, one woman for one man for life. Verse 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears. This is God speaking through the prophet. With weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Why are we experiencing these consequences, Lord, and all these things? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. 
Yet she is your companion and your wife by what? Covenant. But he did he he uh, did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirits? And why one? And here it is again. He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says, "I hate." divorce for it covers one's garment with violence says the lord of hosts therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously what is god saying through this passage there's a covenant commitment involved in a marriage and when it's broken there are always consequences there's always fallout pain <laughs> I think it's interesting that the word covenant in the Hebrew language literally means to cut. If you break a covenant, you're going to be cut in some way. You're going to experience some pain in some way. But even further than that, the, the cutting of a covenant involved the shutting, shedding of blood. And I believe that God designed that so everyone would realize the words of Ecclesiastes four, uh, 5, 4 through 5, where the wisest man in the world said, When you make a vow, do not be late in paying it. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. The shedding of the blood was to signify how important of a commitment this was. In the example of Abraham, for instance, when he called out Abraham to be the father of, of a great and mighty nation. Abraham cut the animals, the blood was shed, and God passed through the middle, saying He was blessing, that He would honor every promise of that covenant. The blood ratified that commitment. Nowadays, in a lot of weddings, the husband and the wife, as they make their commitments to each other. It's called what? It's called vows. A lot of times they write their own. And I'm great with that. Like the one I'm going to be doing this Friday, though, I asked. They're going to be doing that. I asked, could we also include, maybe in the exchange of rings then, some of the traditional language? You remember that? For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness, and in health. Why? Because I want them to understand the seriousness of the commitment they're making. Not just to each other, but they're making a commitment to God. That if it's broken, there will be some cutting pain that is experienced. Marriage is an irrevocable commitment of unconditionally loving and accepting the other person. Ladies, for no matter how selfish, prideful, or food-mongering your husband is. <laughs> Men, no matter how hard sometimes it's for you to understand your wife, to nurture her and cherish her. And you know what? Aren't you glad that God loves us that way? There's nothing... We can do more to earn more of God's love. And there's nothing 
that we can do to offend Him, to cause Him to love us less. That's unconditional, covenant kind of love that He offers us through the blood of the new covenant. The blood that was shed by Jesus Christ cutting a new covenant, a new way to come with Him, come to Him, not on the basis of works to earn, but solely by grace to be forgiven. If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, I encourage you to make that because you can never go wrong. It will help you in your life here and now and give you eternal security for your future. One more quick thing, just for some applications. Do you as singles and teens, young people, have convictions of who you will marry and not marry? Is it a solid believer? Is your view of marriage consistent with God's principles, purposes, and plan? How is it the same? How is it different? How do you need to change in your mind and view and your actions? For couples... I want to encourage you again. Two weeks ago, I asked you as husbands and wives, for those of you who are married, to ask your spouse which of the three types of love they need most from you or he or she needs most from you that week. I venture to guess some of you didn't do that. If you did, I encourage you to do it again. It might be different this time than two weeks ago. Would you do that? And then... Ask these couple questions too. Talk with your spouse about how your marriage has made you more holy and more happy. That might get you to relate on a level you haven't related with each other in a long, long time. And then take it another step. Talk with your mate about how you can still be made more holy through their help and how you feel you can do a better job at helping your spouse to become more holy. What are some areas that you can ask your husband or your wife to keep you accountable in to help you? And then for parents and grandparents and friends, how can you contribute and reinforce God's principles, purposes, and plans in your lives and that of your family? How can you help a friend to become more holy? How can you ask a friend to help you to become more holy? Friendships can fulfill the same function as marriages. And then this one I want to challenge everyone to do. Ask an unchurched person or one you think that might be unchurched this week what they think God's purposes and plans are for marriage. I would almost guarantee your eyes would be opened even further. And not only that, that you might have an opportunity then to share with them the gospel of Christ. Share with them your convictions. There's blue pamphlets in the foyer out there that's about this tall that says how you can know you have a personal relationship with God or does God care or something like that and it shares the gospel have grab a few of those and have one ready when you have a conversation with someone so you know if you're interested this will tell you how you can have a relationship with Christ let me ask you in James chapter 1 what is the condition for receiving a blessing, a reading, studying God's Word? Does anybody know? Blessed are those who do and not just hear. 
We can come to church so many times, hear a message, be challenged, and then go and leave unchanged, unblessed because we don't do. I implore you, please do something. Something God might be laying in your heart that I didn't even mention. Would you please? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you. We are so grateful that you give us all the answers pertaining to life and godliness that we need right here in your precious, awesome word. Thank you for showing us, Lord, how we are to live in our love relationships. We've been reminded of this morning, Lord, of how selfish and sinful we are, at least I have been. And how much, Lord, we really need your help to do what you've asked of us. Lord, we desire to do that, so help us, we pray, so that we might become more holy and perhaps more happy, and so that you might receive great and honor and glory from us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.